Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Came home after a late night meeting a few weeks ago and uh, my wife, Judy, was watching a movie on the TV, and one that she enjoys a lot. It's called Bottle Shock. Uh, it's kind of a, just a simple little story about a lawyer who quits his lawyering job. He's been divorced from his wife. He has a 21-year-old son, and they go up to Napa Valley, and he's going to reinvent the winemaking business. Um, and uh, in this particular scene, as I walked into the house, the scene was playing out, the spoiled, rich son of this vintner is sitting behind a barn with uh, a young man who was, whose ancestors have been in the Napa Valley for four or five generations. And the, the young man whose parents had been there for a long time, they'd all been laborers at one time or another. He had the dirt of the land under his fingernails. He had the sweat of uh, his own brow uh, weathered into his face, the sun had turned him bronze, and he was a guy that had a genius for understanding what grapes need. All he needed was an opportunity. And here standing before him was a young man who was likable enough, and they would goof around from time to time, but this spoiled young rich kid had all the opportunities in the world and no direction for his life. And so the resentments and the uh, misunderstandings boiled over from the stage of casual friendship and they started a fight. And they were starting to argue. And the, the camera cut back to this uh, young laborer's father who was sitting on the porch at the end of the long day. And he had a little phonograph record next to him, or a phonograph player. And he was watching the shadows lengthen, and he was letting the, the day sort of lift off of him. And he was listening to an opera, Mozart. And all of a sudden, the sound of this cacophony of these two guys shouting at each other and working out their differences starts rising up, and he just casually leans over and he just turns up the music <laughs> until he can't hear them anymore. This is what you just experienced in the passage that Teresa read in the book of Revelation. This is how the Bible views worship. When the din of the world, when all of the things happening in the world get to be too much to bear, we cut to heaven and we turn up the music a little bit. We lift to God our songs, sometimes songs of lament, sometimes songs of praise, often songs of petition, songs about our lives, songs about who we are and what we are. We bring to God this sacred music and we ask God to receive this blessing of praise. And if we're lucky from time to time, we get the music right and we hear the angels sing back. When the church that God has left in the world hears God's word and responds in the right way, what you experience in worship is the amen of the angels. Amen. 
And that's what we have in this passage from Revelation today, is the songs of the humans rising up and the angels saying, now that's a message we can get behind, amen and amen forever and ever. What does it take to get our hearts in sync with the songs of God's heavenly choir? It's a question worth asking. Last week we were in the fifth chapter of Revelation, and they were wondering in heaven, who is worthy to unroll the scrolls and reveal all that is to come? And so in our series still to come, we wondered who is worthy. And finally the word came out from the heavenly choir, worthy is the lamb who was slain to unroll the scroll. And this week we hear the testimony of a great multitude from every nation, a great multitude from every nation. You can no longer compartmentalize. You can no longer label. You can no longer say He's in because he is this, or she's out because she is this. But a multitude, a great multitude from every tribe and of every nation has come to sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb. Keep that. Because what has happened in, in between what was read today and what was read last week was that six of the scrolls were unrolled. And as each scroll began to be unrolled, something began to happen upon the earth. And the heaviness and the weight, the awesome terror of some of what was being unleashed upon the earth grew so great that we have to jump back to heaven and remind ourselves salvation belongs to the Lamb who was slain. Because there's nothing in that earth that's going to save us. Are you with me on this? A scroll is unrolled and a horse appears and a rider on it. And the horse is white and the rider is given a crown and a sword and a bow. And he is given the license to conquer. It is this figure that many have named the Antichrist. Because he goes forth not as a lamb who is slain, but as one on a white horse, like a Roman soldier, to conquer through force and might and terror. He goes out across the earth. And another scroll, a seal is opened in the scroll, and a rider emerges. And he is riding on a red horse. And he is given permission to slaughter, to cause collateral damage. Wherever the conqueror goes, war follows, and there's collateral damage, and people are slain. And the third soul seal is broken and another horse appears riding on a black horse. This rider has the ability to cause scarcity and famine. Cost you a week's wages for a loaf of bread. Cost you a month's wages for the Easter ham. Scarcity. Famine. And I looked and I saw, says the rider, and the fourth seal was opened, and a rider came forth on a pale horse. Pestilence followed, and disease, and his name was Death. Then a fifth seal was opened, and I saw the souls of all who had fallen, believing in Christ, under the weight of these four horses. 
And they were calling out to God, how much longer do we have to wait until you vindicate the life we lived in Christ? How much longer, O God, do we have to wait until you set things right and set your justice upon the earth? And the word comes back from heaven just a little longer. I have some more people to add to your numbers. Just wait a little longer. Do you remember in 1 Timothy when Paul said that God had showed him utmost patience because he was the foremost of sinners, macrofumia, the foremost of sinners. Among all the people who live in the world of sin, I was the champion. And God showed me the utmost patience. And this is why these souls who were martyred have to wait because God is showing the utmost patience so that still others can finally hear and connect to the spirit and the love of God. And a sixth seal was opened and the earth began to tremble and there were wonders in heavens. A third of the stars just fell from the sky like apples falling out of a tree. And the earth shook beneath them. And there were wonders and terrors everywhere. And the author turns away and looks to heaven there to find the elect from every nation, those who have come through the great ordeal, as one of the elders tells the author, those who have survived that great ordeal and who have persevered in praising and proclaiming and living out the message of Jesus Christ in the midst of that troubled, difficult world. They have made it through. And now they stand and they sing the secret for all the ages that salvation does not belong to the conqueror. And salvation does not belong to the one who causes fears of war. And salvation does not belong to those who gather all the goods so that people have to work one and two incomes and three and combine their incomes just to have enough to eat every day. And salvation does never belong to the one who brings pestilence and disease. The fear-mongering is done for these people. The terror is over. The long, dark night has ended for them, and they have emerged into the brilliant light of God's heavenly throne room, and the angels are singing all around, and they say to the world, we found out how you've obtained salvation, and it's not by doing the work yourself, but by living in the grace of God and washing your clothes in the blood of the Lamb until they glisten with light. The word there for white, their robes were white, is actually light. I think if John of Patmos were alive today, he said they wore robes that were covered in LED lights. It hurt our eyes to look at them. And the light that was emanating was, from them was because they had died in, the, in their worldly selves in their baptism and been raised to new life in Christ they had washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb, and they went out into this awful, terrible world to live as Christians. And I am so frustrated with pastors who get on the radio and the television and say, there's a big, terrible time coming. There's a big, horrible ordeal coming. There's a rapture coming. And all of us who believe in Jesus are going to leap off the earth right before it happens. But woe to those who are left behind. Pah. Have you seen the world around us? Can we not yet be ready to say that everything that 
John of Patmos is talking about has been unfolding right around us again and again and again. Let me refresh your memory. Just about a century ago, a despotic, conquering ruler began to raise himself up in Europe. And he had such, such charisma that before we knew it, he had the military in his lap, he had the propaganda machine in his lap. He got to the point where he could say up is down and down is up, black is white, white is black, this is right, that's wrong, and everybody believed him. He was inventing a whole new reality. And soon enough, it became terrifying to those who were labeled by him as other. And many, many people in Europe in those days began to flee and to flee and to flee from the terrors that were following, the wars and the slaughter that were onsetting. But you know what happened? There were these remarkable people in that generation. Some called them Christian. And instead of running from the trouble, they ran toward it. And they didn't run with bullets and with guns and with bombs. That is for the soldiers of the earth to do. But they ran with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and long-suffering, infinite patience. They ran toward the trouble to comfort, to give voice to the agony, to stand up one day and sign a declaration that says, yes, we have a Fuhrer and his name is God. There's no one on this earth who takes his place. And they paid for it with their life. These are the ones who've come through the great ordeal and have chosen Christ. And so, they are before the throne of God singing every day. In the Middle Ages, there was a great pestilence. And any time the sign of the plague was found on the edge of the city limits, People who were traveling just turned and went around. And those who were in the city, if plague was to be found, if they had money, if they had wealth, if they had opportunity, if they had prestige, they got out of Dodge and they went somewhere else, sailed to the continent or sailed to England or sailed to Ireland or went wherever they could to get away from the plague. Here it comes. But there were some remarkable people. Some call them Christians who went into those cities. And they held the hand of the dying. And they assisted the physicians of those days in whatever the way they could. And they went out to the graveyard and they stood over the bodies and they gave them a burial in grace. And some of them paid for it with their lives. We were in Cape Coast in Ghana. And we went to the original Methodist church there in Ghana founded by missionaries, and, and there was a pulpit there that is ridiculously high. There's 12 steps up to the pulpit. So uh, Matthias, my uh, uh, guide, said, um, would you like to go stand in the pulpit here? And I said, yes, I would. And I just ran up those steps, and I stood up there, and somebody took a picture, and I was pretending to preach with a Bible in one hand and my hand out in the other. And then Matthias said, I remember the first time I preached in that pulpit. And buried underneath the pulpit in the foundation are the remains of the first three English missionaries who came to Ghana. I 
felt their power when I preached, he said. And I thought, I'm going to get out of here now. I'm standing on the missionaries. And then he told me something powerful. Malaria was a known quantity in Ghana at the time. People born in Europe were susceptible. And it got to the point where every missionary who set sail to go to Ghana and help with the mission effort had all of his worldly belongings packed in a casket so that when he went there and served his life in Christ and paid for his service with malaria, they would have something to bury him in. Can you imagine leaning over the rail of the ship, waving to your loved ones and watching them bring your casket up the gangplank? Of course you can. We've all had those moments in which the difference between those who use the name of Christ and those who are in Christ is perfectly revealed by the direction they turn when the troubles of this world come. Talked to a friend who had lived through the Whittier earthquake a few years back. Just the day after the earthquake, somebody came and knocked on the front door and said, from the church down the street, we're checking on our neighbors, just making sure you're okay. Is there anything we can pray with you about? They don't flee from the disaster. They walk into it again and again and again. These Christians are the most brave and courageous people the world has ever known. The world doesn't know what to do with their bravery and with their courage. But I want to tell you today, church, that you're looking at this multitude of people who are singing before the throne who have trusted that Jesus Christ the Lamb who was slain will provide them with salvation and therefore lived their life as if it were expendable. That these people did not become brave and courageous in order to earn God's love and favor. It's because they were already so full of Christ that Christ was able to give them the bravery and the courage. Sometime when you have time, read the fourth chapter of Acts again. Some of the apostles were arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. And after they were let out of jail, they came and they told the believing community, they, they told us if we keep preaching, they're going to throw us in jail. And the believing community, instead of saying, oh God, save us from jail, said, Lord, if we have to go to jail for you, we need to be brave. We need to be brave. Make us brave. Give us courage. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit was given to the whole church not just to the apostles. Every believer in the room received the Holy Spirit. And that means that you and I, through our baptism, have received the same Holy Spirit. And in these moments of decision, when we're tempted by the world to run in one direction that looks strong and powerful and prevailing and mighty, and we're called by God to move in another direction, in which we turn the other cheek and we give of our substance to the poor and we share in every way we can, the love and the grace of Christ. In those moments, if you listen carefully, even in the first turn of our feet in that direction, you hear the angels begin to sing. Yes, worthy is the Lamb. Our hearts, our souls, and our bodies shall dwell secure because of Jesus Christ. It is this gift that Every mother who is filled with the love of God is able to try to impart to their children 
They model that long-suffering for all of us. They're the ones who said, Yao, and still brought us forth. Not everyone has had an all-star mother. And if that's your circumstance today, if your home life has not been the idyllic leave-it-to-beaver life in this world, can I tell you something Jesus said? He said, who are my mothers or my brother or my sisters? Whoever does the will of God will be my mother and brother and sister and father. So if you're someone whose family has not been there for you, you're home. This is your place. We commit and covenant to you today that this is the safe place. That there's nothing you can bring in this room that will disturb us to the point where we send you back out of the room. You're home. We covenant to that. This is so important to me today because one of my best friends serves a church in Littleton, Colorado, St. Andrew United Methodist. They are less than a mile from where another shooting took place this week. And he and I were able to text a few times and I finally got to talk to him on Friday the day after the vigil, where 2,500 people came to his sanctuary to light candles and to share, to share their hurt, to share their anger, and to share their hope. They came together to pray, to shut out the seals that are being broken all around them, to hear the angels sing again. And I asked him, where are you going to go from here? He said, we are we're just needing to heal right now. But I tell you, it doesn't help when experts come on the TV and say, yes, these two kids, they were monsters. They were monsters. They're just monsters. That's the only problem is we have monsters among us. And my friend said to me, if they were monsters, we would recognize them right away. But they're not monsters. They're children. And this is the problem. They go to Little League practice. They go to ballet class. They go and they take their tests at school. And little by little, stresses of living in this world today begin to overwhelm and swamp and, and come around them. Not just one or two, but an entire generation. He said, these kids weren't broken. It's the generation that is broken and needing us to be there for them, to connect them, to be with them, to love them. Church, hear me. There are a hundred grandmothers and grandfathers in this room who are dying to hold their grandkids in their arms again. And there are a thousand kids all around us dying for a grandmother or grandfather who cares. Can we not hear Jesus say, whoever does? Why isn't everyone in this church required to put on the colors of El Medina or of Orange High School? or of Villa Park High School, every one of us required to be at every football game on every Friday night in the coming season, to stand up and cheer. And when the parents say, what are you doing here? Are your kids out on the field? And you say, well, yes and no. Because you see, I'm here on behalf of Jesus Christ, and they're all my children. And there's a chance that we can be there for them and help redeem the day for them. And two young kids walked into a room holding guns. 
and a few others, instead of running, turned toward to stop the shooting. They didn't shoot back. They didn't beat up. They just moved to restrain. On Wednesday night, my friend had texted me. He said, I've reached out to all the youth that are in our church who attend that school, and I've been able to account for all but one, and I'm deeply worried. He was not the one who died. He was the one who went with the one who died and was shot in the shoulder. He will make a recovery. And I said, how do you account for a kid who stands up and runs toward it? And he said, he's a member of the St. Andrew community. And we preach here again and again that in this community of love, our lives belong to Christ. This is the picture of the triumphant church, my friends. The church triumphant is not the one who conquers or frightens or scares in the name of God. My friend in Denver said, my deepest fear is that People will see the church as the place where if you're a model citizen, you fit right in, but as the minute you do something that the world perceives as wrong, the church will push you out the door and say you don't belong here. These kids are not monsters. None of them. We need to be there for them. And being a grandparent is no excuse anymore. In fact, it makes you the most qualified. So I want to challenge you this day. I want to challenge you to get to know these kids. Get over your fears. Get over your struggles. Get to know these kids. Go and park yourself in a Starbucks somewhere, grab a cup of tea, and the next young kid that walks in and say, I'm a grandparent without a, <laughs> without a grandkid right now. Would you please? Would you please let me sit with you for a minute? These kids may be frightened. They may run the other direction. Persist. Reach out. We have no youth group in this church because we have no more youth anymore. The days of that excuse are over. They're over. They're over right now. If you can still talk and hear, then you have no excuse. Go find some kids. Get to know them. Make them your kids. Make them your grandkids. Let's reach out because there is a generation around us that is breaking at the seams. And they look just like us because they are us. Reach down inside yourself. Find the Holy Spirit. Find your courage and your bravery in Christ. And get out there. Get out there not to stop the shooting, but to receive the shooters and the victims and to love them and to hold them and to show them, for God's sake, the love of God because worthy is the Lamb. And salvation belongs to the Lamb who is seated on the throne. Worthy is he who to receive honor and glory and praise now and always. Amen.